Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that, looking back, make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host, Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast Theo Beidler. Each episode, we'll take turns exploring a song, while the other host has no idea what song will be the focus until we hit play. We're here. You know, in the in the famous words of Shania Twain, looks like we made it. Mm. Let's do it. Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, first episode of Year of Our Lord 2024. We are super excited to have a special guest on the episode. We have Danny Davis. Hello. Front person, mastermind of the great rock band Husbands. Hello, Welcome, hello. Danny. Thank you. <laughs> Happy to be here. Danny, you're you're broadcasting from Costa Rica. I am. This is yeah. This is our second international episode. We had a we had a guest in Australia a few weeks ago. Oh, a bogan, eh? You <laughs> got a bogan on the on the show. <laughs> yeah, this is my home away from home, so I'm like here we counted it up at the end of twenty twenty three and I'm here like one fourth of the year most of the time. So nice. on tour one fourth, here one fourth, and then at home half the year in OKC. So it's nice. Sounds like a great life. It's pretty good right now, yeah. I don't know how sustainable it is, but we're going <laughs> for it. So we're we're trying to make it work. <laughs> I love it. I have quite a story for you guys tonight. Mm. I've had this song in mind for a little bit, and we've had actually a lot of listeners request this song. So I'm I'm excited to kick off the year with one that folks have been wanting to hear. I feel like since the beginning, people have been asking for this song. <laughs> um, I also just heard a can crack, which is always a good thing. Oh, yeah, that's me. That's me over here. Right on. Good man. Yes. This is a Pilsen. It's one of the two flagships from Costa Rica. It's a domestic flagship. Very good. Uh, I definitely drank that when I was there. Oh, yeah, man. This is, there's like two big ones, and this is the one I picked. Pilsen over Mm -hmm. Imperial. I like it. (laughs) Right on. We really, we can't start the episode without a can snack crack. Yeah, right. I have this new Sierra Nevada. Theo, have you seen these? No. Um, It's, it's a limited edition Nectaronomicon. I think that's how you say it. But it's a small batch, juicy IPA they're making. But, um, mm. with some cool, like holographic artwork. It's pretty rad. I'm here for this. Fruity yeah, I mean, notes in that it. thing sounds like fruity notes. There are some fruity notes. It's, yeah. uh, an army of pineapple, passion fruit, and citrus <laughs> for an onslaught of tropical flavor. Yeah, that's juicy, juicy, aptly named. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is juicy, but it's not hazy. It's just like mm-hmm. kind of regular looking, but it's good. Just the juice, it's very good. Yep. Speaking of juicy, let's get into our juicy story. <laughs> it's a juicy song. Here's the song that we're going to be chatting about tonight. Oh. <laughs> what was going to be the namesake of our podcast. That's true. Wow, That's true. we're finally doing it. Oh, yeah. That's great. Everyone, everyone's bopping a little bit. I like it. Oh wow! I can't wait for this. Hot, hot sun. Uh, I had to get to the trumpet before I turned it off. <laughs> what a Trumpet's song! So good. Yeah, for those that don't know, we were going to name our podcast "How Bizarre." 
Yep. After this song. Yep. But there's like 47 podcasts named How Bizarre, so. Yeah. You mean How how Bizarre? You mean How Bizarre, right? <laughs> yeah, How Bizarre. Is it spelled differently? Uh, Is it actually spelled differently? We should just name it How Bizarre. No, he just says it. Uh, he says it. I, I never knew what that's he would what we say. Done. He would say that back in the day. How Bizarre. Yeah, it's a... Uh, <laughs> missed opportunity. It's uh, B-I-Z-A-A-H-H. Bizarre. <laughs> Is he from Boston? He's not from Boston. <laughs> I can tell you not originally. I can tell you he is not from Boston, but he could be. This is How Bizarre by OMC. That's right. An Auckland, New Zealand music duo or trio or solo artist, mm. depending on what part of their history you're looking at and who you ask. Wow. I would not have guessed New Zealand here. Yeah. I don't think I knew that. They're a Kiwi band. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you know that, Danny? No, not at all. I mean, I've I've sort of I know some of the things about the dude, like the fact that he is dead. But besides the fact that he's dead, I don't know anything else about him. I, I did not know he was uh, New Zealand. That is true. He's from New Zealand, and he has indeed left this planet. Which yeah, spoiler uh, we'll, alert. We'll talk yeah. about a little later. Well, I'm done. That's really the only part of the podcast <laughs> I care dead. about is where they come from. He's dead. Son of a bitch, <laughs> Danny. I I think you brought this up when we were having beers when you were in Richmond. This song, I think he brought this song up. So I was like, "What better opportunity?" Right, man. I, w- I would love to hear more about it because, uh, you know, this is like on a reference list for great production value. You know, they accomplish so much with when you zone in on the elements of what this song is comprised of. It's like just people playing music, singing music. It's very basic. There's not a lot of affected quality to the recording. Yep. Besides the drum machine, I guess. Yeah. So nice. So nice. Absolutely. To- totally agree. Well, this song was released in 95, and before we begin, I need to preface that the accounts of the making of this song from the people involved tend to vary quite a bit, so I did my best to cross-check and compare, verify information, check multiple sources. Eventually, I had to just try my best to make sense of the timelines uh, and how all the personnel work together. To the best of my knowledge, it was... A little challenging, so hopefully this is correct. If I get anything wrong, I hope I hope folks well, the, will let us know. The benefit know of the artist cause... being dead is that uh, he won't be coming after us reliable. So, <laughs> no, there are. Yeah, <laughs> we can say whatever we want about that guy now. <laughs> there are multiple people uh, involved that are alive. Okay, good. so good. we'll start off with talking about the Fumanas. Philip Fumana was born on January 6th. Happy early birthday to Phil. Uh, in 1964 in Auckland, New Zealand. Five years later, in 1969, his younger brother, Paul Fumana, was born. Phil and Paul grew up in Otara, an underserved suburb that started as a housing project outside of South Auckland, which is the largest city in New Zealand. Their mom was of the Maori population. For those unfamiliar, the Maori are an indigenous people from New Zealand, dating back to between 1320 and 1350 AD, so they've been there a long time. They have a distinctive culture, known for their incredible performing arts, including music, dance, and film. Phil and Polly's father was Niuan. I've tried to get that pronunciation right today. Uh, meaning he hailed from an island nation called Niue, a self-governing land that is in free association of New Zealand with its own language and culture. 
Phil and Polly, as well as their other siblings, Tony and Christina, grew up in poverty and have said that their only real enjoyment was making music together. They mostly spoke Niuan as their first language and grew up with mostly fellow indigenous and Pacific Islander kids. Polly, in particular, had some run-ins with gangs and the law as a teenager and even spent some time in juvenile detention. However, as teenagers, the siblings formed a soul group with their friend Maddie called House Party. One word, House Party, which I thought was pretty rad. I like that. And they recorded a single for their own label called Southside Records, which is also pretty entrepreneurial of them. Check out this photo of the band. I just wanted you to get a vibe. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. This is almost modern, you know. This this feels like this could be a, a current band in some ways. Yeah. Some of them. Totally. Yeah, I, iconic style. The headband of this this one girl is, is not quite modern, but yeah, those sunglasses, sharp people. The way it's shot with like the heavy shadow, though, was like very early mm. 90s, late 80s. Oh, I love it. Uh, so Phil produced the music for the band, and Polly was originally a backup dancer, and then learned guitar and sang backing vocals for the band. Christina sang lead vocals. <laughs> And I found that single of theirs on YouTube. So let's check it out, yeah? Is this House Party? This is House Party. This is their first single they self-released. Oh, yeah. On their label. 1,300 views. <laughs> Dig an intro. Yeah, it's great. Record scratches, nice little bass line, break beat. I mean, this is their first band, the first single? Yeah. This is like a one, it sounds good, but also uh, the video quality. So, the video was made with money from a grant that they got from the New Zealand National Arts Fund because Dope. you know, other countries invest in the, in the arts and give money to kids to make videos and music and tour and stuff. Yeah, I'm digging it. It's good, right? She's got a great voice, too. Yeah, like it's a, a total jam. I'm vibing on this. Like, it's definitely uh, a bit dated, but, like, if you told me this was a hit back in the day, I would 100% believe it. Oh, they got a little boy band move. I like that. A little dance breakdown. So Polly's in there as a backup dancer, because I think this is before he started playing guitar and singing in the band. It's cool shit. I'm into it. It appears from the YouTube comments, though, that they got some airplay. I think maybe on TV, because, like, some of the comments are talking about the video. So maybe the like New Zealand Arts Fund like helped them with that. I'm not really sure because again, it only has 1,300 views, so it's not that many people that remember it. But uh, they changed their name to Fu- just simply Fumana after that, and they released an album. They released on a small Kiwi label, also produced by Phil. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play another track from Fumana. What happened to House Party? with being like that? I think it's cool, but I don't know. Mine is a little more unique. Again, the video quality. Right? Mm-hmm. Some sexy drums. The piano reminds me of James Bond. Yeah. Well, David Byrne vibes in this video. Definitely. Danny, this could be a husband's video. I know. I mean, this is... I would love a video like this. I, I basically... Uh, this is my exact vibe I appreciate it. Yeah. Cut out silhouettes against face and paper mache kind of thing. The video has some kind of storyline about aliens. Okay. 
some sort of alien invasion, it seems. They definitely got the point across. But uh, anyway, that's Fumana. That's the, that's the sibling band. So Phil said in a magazine interview in 94, he said, We saw music as one way of getting out of Otara. The music is about survival and creating a future where my family and their kids can be comfortable. And then he says, are you guys familiar with Flying Nun Records? It's a famous New Zealand label from the 90s. It's like a indie rock stuff. He said, it's not Flying Nun's fault that there's so much white music around. We're to blame for it. We should have our own label, <laughs> Flying Coconuts or something. We'd all be bloody rich by now. I really hope he starts a label down the road here called Flying Coconuts. Well, it's not called Flying Coconuts, but uh, I'm not entirely sure what happened with the band. Uh, there's no like evidence of like an actual breakup or anything, but Phil and Polly continue making music, just the two of them, after the Fumana album came out. And uh, at this time, hip hop and R and B were hugely popular in Otara and Auckland, and the vast majority of what they're listening to was from America, according to a March 2023 oral history of How Bizarre in the Guardian by Caroline Barron. <laughs> There were several that that local exists, clubs. By the way. Oh yeah, it's really good too. Um, there were several local clubs in inner city Auckland that played hip hop and R and B. Two of them were called the Box and Cause Celebre, respectively. And these clubs were owned by a man named Simon Grigg. Simon came from a punk rock background and also put out records on his own small label called Huh. The club's clientele was a mix of local kids dressed in the hip hop streetwear of the time and the punk rock fashion characterized by leather plaid and boots. Those kids came to be known as boot boys. Appropriate. Polly and Phil were often seen at the clubs, and Polly leaned toward the boot boys aesthetic, and he had a pompadour haircut, so everyone compared him to Elvis, and they'd call him <laughs> Kiwi Elvis. <laughs> Simon says... Good band name. That would be a great band name. Yeah. Kiwi Elvis. Yeah. I hope a podcast listener starts a starts a band called Kiwi and they're on like a la- label name Flying Coconut. All because of this episode, yeah, right here. perfect. <laughs> We're inspiring people. <laughs> Simon says they're always a little behind on music and fashion in New Zealand because they didn't see what the world trends were until they saw it in a magazine. Like three months later, in order for the clubs to stay ahead, Simon, the club owner, had a record store give him their five hottest records in a box every two weeks. <laughs> he just like paid them on retainer to give him those producer alan jansen was also a patron of these clubs alan was a record producer from wellington new zealand the son of greek and swedish immigrants who put together a compilation album in 94 called proud an urban pacific street soul compilation which featured hip-hop and r&b from what is referred to as pacifica people meaning the new zealand diaspora of pacific islanders from nations such as samoa tonga cook islands and the ua the compilation gained popularity in New Zealand and Australia, and while it was based around hip-hop and R&B music, Jansen's production emphasized the Pacific sounds of the songs, including log drumming, ukuleles, and Maori strumming. The compilation is not on streaming, but I found some rips of tracks on YouTube, and it rules, so <laughs> let's check some of it out. It's really good. It's Tuesday Blues by Pacifican Descendants. Got like a Bismarck key vibe to it. Into it. Yeah, it does a little bit. The rapping is really good. It's dope. And almost like a like a far side thing going on. Yeah, 
We're going to do another song. Vibing on that, though. Oh, this one's got way more views. 701. <laughs> this is Trust Me by Semi-MCs. Vibing on this. That one's got like a new Jack Swing thing going on. Yeah, a little Janet Jackson, man. I was just thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, Ted, Teddy Riley, Jimmy Jam. Uh, so yeah, cool shit. I get why people were into this. So Simon Grigg, who, the club owner, he also had an indie label. And he heard this compilation. He was obsessed. So he told Alan, who produced the compilation, next time he's working on something, he wants to put it out. And Alan said he was working with someone on the compilation who hangs out at Simon's clubs, Polly Fumana. Mm-hmm. Polly was 18 and had been attending fine art school at the time. He was described by peers in this era as stylish, shy, humble, and soft spoken. Sounds like a lovely guy. A couple years prior, Phil had started uh, a hip hop group with his brother Paul and some others. It was called the Otara Millionaires Club. <laughs> which was ironic considering the economics of their town of Otara, maybe prophetic as well. Their music was originally closer to U.S. West Coast rap, and they played a few shows around Auckland. However, in a 1997 interview with Billboard, Polly said, we were doing all these gigs and gang members started showing up. In Auckland, there's a very bad Bloods and Crips type situation. I just decided to try and steer away from that and go in another direction where I could grow and get into more music I wanted to make. So, guessing he wanted to make some more some more fun stuff. I dig that, though. So, the direction that they took the group in was still hip-hop influence, but incorporated more Pacifica-influenced sounds, as well as other genres from around the world. Polly took on most of the vocals. And their first recorded track was on the Proud compilation called We Are the OMC. Let's check out the first OMC song. When is this song from? So 94. The, how yeah. bizarre is 94? All right. Mm-hmm. Just proceeding. Volcanoes brewing for a number one <laughs> hit here. I had no idea. It stood for a car on Millionaire Club. That's great. Mm-hmm. I had to get to the chorus. <laughs> Single cover is kind of interesting. He's like outstretching his hands and has these uh, these blood stains coming down. Is he positioning the OMC as like some sort of Christ figure band going on? I don't here? know. What's going on with that? <laughs> the, the subject matter of the song was not like as heavy as you would think of someone with <clears throat> pierced hands reaching forward kind of thing. Especially because it seemed like they were trying to get away from the gangster rap thing. But I think they were still like distancing themselves at this point. But even that like high synth reminds me of a lot of like West Coast hip hop. Mm. Uh, so Phil ended up collaborating with Alan on the entire Proud compilation, and Phil subsequently started his own label called Urban Pacifica Records, which launched young hip hop, soul, and reggae groups from the region. So, foreshadowing earlier. Alan continued to work with the Fumanas on their music after the compilation and Auckland's major music festival, Big Day Out, 
asked him to put together a roster of bands from the Proud compilation for that year's fest. Only two groups said yes, and O and the C, whose name was officially shortened at Polly's suggestion, was one of them. And they only had one real song, the one you just heard. So Alan and Polly got to work in Alan's kitchen, writing eight more songs in one night for the festival set. (laughs) And one of those songs was based on a simple C, G, and F guitar chord progression that Alan had been playing. And Polly began singing a melody over it with the words, Every time I look around, it's in my there face. There it is. Mm. There it is. What a hook. He's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> Gifted from the muse, apparently. One of yep. eight in a single totally. night is like, Jolene, I will always love you, Dolly Parton. Yeah, right. Stuff <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Gracious. As for the title... And the most repeated phrase in the song, supposedly it was Alan's wife's favorite saying. You'd say something surprising or interesting to her, and her response would be, how bizarre. <laughs> or probably wow. how bizarre. How bizarre. Uh, how bizarre. Alan and Polly thought it was a good phrase for the song. Supposedly, however, the song was originally titled Duff It Up, which is slang for beat it up, like you'll duff, you'll duff someone up or duff something up so nothing right. to do with like the simpsons uh, beer the duff beer uh no i don't <laughs> think so <laughs> duff beer tagline the verses uh touch on polly's experiences growing up in otara in south auckland he says he did in fact encounter quite a few bizarre situations in that time <laughs> and wanted to put out a message of embracing the eccentricities of life the outlandish and surreal and navigating through society he even put in some Easter eggs in the lyrics of specific references that only family or friends would know what he's talking about, like things that had happened to them or things they'd seen. And the people he mentions in the song, Brother Pele and Sister Zena, are real people. And Zena, um, Z-I-N-A, is how she spells her name. She was also on the Proud compilation and then often sang in the studio and was in the touring band for OMC. Hmm. Uh, and she's in the song a bunch. She's in the car with them. It's been rumored that the song is about fugitives on the run from a prison break, but Polly has mentioned that the run-ins with the cops in the song is actually from a time they got pulled over and got busted for pot. Interesting. Very different. Do you guys happen to know where the drum sample is from? This, in this is from song? something else. It sounds like just a basic machine just going through its motions. It's from an actual song. That's what I thought, too, and I just kind of figured and then like right before this episode i was poking around on who sampled and it turns out that it's from this no way (laughs) yeah and then i listened to them back to back and i was like oh shit that's actually true so they didn't chop it up, they just used it straight from I, Whoomp, I, there it, it is. It seems like it. Uh, Slowed it down a bit. Wild, man. It's got that little fake tambo going in the back. Yeah. It sounds super yeah. nice. I mean, it sounds great. It's just, they probably have to pay some royalties to tag team. I'd imagine so. Good for tag team. But yeah, that sample's from Atlanta Rap Duo Tag Team's 1993 hit, Whoop, There It Is, which... Theo's been wanting to cover, so might have to bring it up soon. That's a good one. So OMC played the Big Day Out Fest, indeed. It went okay. I, I saw some mixed reports from how it went. And then they toured New Zealand and Australia, 
playing that same set that they wrote in Alan's Kitchen. They played Sydney at a club to about 50 people, uh, many of whom were Samoan and Maori. And it happened that Rolling Stone Australia writer Clinton Walker caught the show and he featured OMC in a two-page article in the magazine. And that's kind of where they say things started to pick up a little bit. So when they got back to New Zealand, Alan and Polly got to work on the album. Uh, At this point, Polly had become the face of the band and the main performing member, handling vocals and multiple instruments. And from what I can tell, Phil didn't want to tour anymore, or at all, and he wanted to focus on his own label, which I mentioned. So he gave the name OMC to Polly. And by some accounts, it says he gave the name to Polly and Alan, making it a duo. But it depends on who you ask. But essentially, Mm. Polly and Alan are OMC. I'm just not sure who actually owns the name. Simon, our friend from the clubs and from Huh Records, around June 1995, Alan played Simon, a finished version of How Bizarre. And Simon said it was phenomenal. Polly came into the room (laughs) and we hugged. I said, this is going to be massive. This is a moment. (laughs) And he's not wrong. That's what's crazy. He's not wrong. Good for those guys. I knew he had a huge hit on our hands, but the big question was, how do we turn it into an international hit? (laughs) (laughs) The question you always got to ask yourself as a songwriter, how do I turn this into an international hit? (laughs) Danny, do you ask yourself that with every song? Always, yeah. I've never never quite hit the peak or the answer is How Bizarre by OMC, but, you know, that's what we strive for every time. It only takes one, man. Truly, though, you hear that song and you do hear the magic in it. And if you're in there recording it, and somebody plays it out to you, there is something special about it that is kind of unexplainable. You say phenomenal. It is kind of like a phenomena of a song because what yeah. about it is so great? I don't know, but... It's magic, yeah. It's there. I take it we yeah. all really like this song, right? Yeah. I love this song. I love this song, too. This is this is a great song. Because, you know, we've had a lot of songs on here that have some mixed feelings, but uh, I think I'm well, glad we're all... feels good vibe. Here. The song in general, you know, you really can't Right. Without this song, I don't know if like Every Morning by Sugar Ray exists either in terms of like that song is after this song and there are so many similarities to those two. Like a hit begets a hit for somebody else, you know. Oh yeah. This has that definitely. every morning vibe almost Yeah, it definitely does. Explicitly, yeah. I th- I think this is the superior song. More nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. It's less on the nose, maybe. Yeah, it's a little less on the nose for sure. <laughs> I think one of the things that makes the song so special is Polly's unique vocals. He does that like nasally talk singing in it. It's it's like not really rapping. Like I, I kind of thought that too, um, but it sort of is. And Simon said that he loved it because it it wasn't classic hip hop. It was like kind of Polly's own spin and in turn kind of a New Zealand spin on it. And Polly even said he was not a hip hop artist. He did not consider himself a rapper whatsoever. Um, It was just something different. And uh, I did, though, appreciate Tom Brahan at Stereo Gum and his number ones column. He was talking about I'll Be Missing You. And I guess this song was on the radio at the same time. And he called the song Post Beck. This song? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, I could kind of see it. <laughs> so he, he takes the brilliance of Vex loser or something and simplifies it for the Walmart masses or something. If loser is like <laughs> a harder chew pill to swallow for some people, maybe. I don't know. I guess. I don't know. I mean, I guess I didn't have any, any evidence that they listened to Beck or even knew who Beck was. Yeah. So uh, I just found that description pretty amusing. <laughs> but I can say with certainty that the reason that there is Latin sounding trumpet in this song is because Polly was a huge Herb Alpert fan. Oh, wow. Like lifelong <laughs> Herb Alpert head. So uh, that's how that, that trumpet ended Little up. Little Herb head. Yeah. <laughs> One for the Herb heads. So it turned out that Simon knew Adam Holt, who is the head of Polygram Records Australia the regional arm of the huge British label at the time. Simon thought How Bizarre was such a great song that he and Alan flew to Australia and played it for Adam in his office. And apparently in the car on the way there, Simon said to Alan, this is either going to be a worldwide smash or we're mad. And Alan said, we're not mad. (laughs) I love it. It's like a movie. Yeah. Diabolical almost. (laughs) Adam said that when the song was playing on a cassette in his office when they showed up, the walls were pretty thin in there, and his boss came out asking, what the hell is this? (laughs) And he thought that he hated it, but his boss was like, this is amazing. Like, we have to put this out. (laughs) So Simon effectively signed over control to Polygram Australia, um, even though it still said, huh, on the album. I think it was kind of like... when Nevermind came out on Geffen, it still said Sub Pop on there, but Geffen kind of did all the legwork on that one. He said it's sometimes something that he regrets giving up control, but he also doesn't think it would have ended up being such a smash because he wouldn't have had as much to put behind it. Mercury Records in the US eventually distributed it in North America after its success in Australia and then the UK. And an executive at Mercury said that international success does not always mean that they'll actually push something in america but the song was already being played somehow on modern rock radio stations in san francisco dallas and portland supposedly Polly was in la around christmas time and he was blown away when he was listening to a henry rollins song on k-rock and then how bizarre came on next (laughs) he was like i can't believe there's a hardcore song and then how bizarre like how cool is this how bizarre bizarre yeah (laughs) Simon said after that, it was pretty overwhelming how quickly everything grew. And he said that uh, in Australia, it was full on where it was total phenomenon. But he did say that there was a bit of an ugly side because Polly did uh, face some racism there when they were touring. But he said that when they got to the UK, it just felt like they were steamrolling the world. (laughs) And then America was total madness. Like it was just like one country after the next, like picking it up. And then they go there and it's big. And he said that he would go into his office and there would be all these faxes from polygram offices asking for things and issues to deal with. And he said that the first album cover had his personal email address on it. (laughs) 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 Another really interesting part of this is that I was reading that in New Zealand, like they would have all these hit songs in New Zealand, but nothing would ever make it out of New Zealand because it was just so small and so far from everything. So this was like one of the first big songs to come out of New Zealand. Like, and they were just 
so amped and so proud that there was like a top five hit around the world that was coming from New Zealand. So that I think that also played into some of the madness around this. Uh, and I guess Polly, uh, or OMC, was nominated for New Zealand Single of the Year at the New Zealand Music Awards. But he was also nominated for some other awards around the world. But he like really only cared about this. And when he won the award, they had a huge party at uh, Cause Celebre, one of the clubs where they like, all used to hang out at. Uh, and like all their friends were there, you know, classic story. It's like a movie. It really is. Yeah, but that shit was lit. I know. It Peter sounds Jackson, so fun. The Hobbits probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How bizarre would it be to start the day without coffee? And for us specifically, it'd be even more bizarre not to start the day with dark matter coffee. Our friends at Dark Matter Coffee in Chicago roast the finest coffee beans in the world via ethical and sustainable trade. And you can get the beans delivered right to your door via darkmattercoffee.com. And shipping's on us with coupon code WANTEDAHITCAST. That's all one word, WANTEDAHITCAST, at darkmattercoffee.com to get absolutely excellent coffee beans delivered to your door. Shipping on us. Ooh, baby, indeed. OMC was on TV screens around the world. They made appearances on Top of the Pops, MTV, late night shows. Uh, and then the band toured with U2, Cheap Trick, share smashing pumpkins and inexplicably open for bon jovi i'm wondering how Mm. that went over (laughs) who didn't you know yeah you know who's a good opener Uh, for bon jovi though too also i mean not to yeah i don't know but i would say just don't go to the bon jovi concert i guess i don't know in the 90s what like our lady peace or something i don't know i would have gone to that (laughs) i have no idea so Simon talks about kind of how like they didn't really plan on ever being a touring band and they kind of like the label and their agent just kind of started throwing them on these tours that like all the bands I just mentioned. And I don't, I don't think any of them like really went super well. Like the audiences just didn't really connect all that much and they just weren't really that kind of band. And he said that he, he felt like Polygram like didn't really couldn't really wrap their head around that they were like not a rock band and also that they were making this great music in the studio and like maybe weren't a touring band. So I think it kind of fizzled on the road. Um, and I also think I had to do with the band, maybe not really wanting to be a touring band, but I do have to mention that there was a running gag where Polly would just, if they'd meet musicians in a city before a show, he would just like, offer them to play with them. <laughs> and there was one time where there's a guy playing piano in the hotel in the lobby and he had them play with them at the show that night. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is just so awesome. I love that. <laughs> That's so fun. So the song is huge and as it tends to go, one of the big things that helped it get even more massive was MTV. So why don't we all watch the video together? <laughs> I very much remember this video. Xena! This is bring me back. His outfit is like Toto esque. <laughs> <laughs> the Kiwi Elvis thing makes sense when you see his hair in the first. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. They did shoot it in Auckland. Uh, and I guess the driving parts were at an actual race racetrack. 
policeman taps the shades and sell a Chevy 69. How bizarre. They wait so long for this uh, <laughs> this chorus or whatever you call this. Yeah. Patience. It's kind of badass. I forgot about all this part of the video. I very yeah. much remember them in the Chevy in the beginning. Uh, that video cost $7,000, which uh, for a major label band in the 90s, that's like crazy. Like that it was... Because, I mean, some of those rock bands on the same label were spending like... $500,000 on videos. I'm wondering if these like dancers in the background are the actual singers in the recording or if there's just the Milli Vanilli situation going on. Yeah, right? They gotta be like <laughs> just paid dancers. So yeah, I was I was gonna say that's Xena for real. So she's, she's in the band and she's on the recording. That's oh, great. nice. She looks great. Yeah. It's Bob. I love how they uh, they take video that's shot, like they take the actual video and then put him on green screen in front of the video. Yeah. There's like a shot where he's in the background yeah, and the foreground. <laughs> so funny. A lot of the people in the background are just cool kids that were at Simon's Clubs. They were just like, hey, come be in this video. <laughs> As you would imagine, How Bizarre went to number one in New Zealand. And everybody was determined to get it to number one in Australia, and it did. Uh, and it also went to the top ten in over a dozen other countries. Uh, and the album, also titled How Bizarre, and featuring only Polly on the cover, sold millions upon millions of copies worldwide. The U.S., as we all know, song's pretty massive. I definitely remember hearing it pretty much everywhere for like three years, oh, probably. Yeah. Uh I loved it. I feel like it's kind of like the perfect, like quirky alternative pop for kids to latch on to. Totally. Like it's interesting it fits enough. Fits in well with like the era of Smash Mouth and Sugar Ray and some of Cheryl Crow's zanier stuff. Mid 90s perfection. Yeah. Water park <laughs> kind of soundtrack. I, I definitely remember music. hearing this at the water park I went to all the time. That's like, just remember teenage hormones and uh, hearing this song. Not teenage, I guess. I guess this was like uh, prepubescent, but still. It was in your face. It was there. The song did get to number four on the Billboard Airplay chart, but it never hit the Hot 100 because there was no retail single made. Oh. And that was back when you had to make a single wow. to have it on the Hot 100. How bizarre. <laughs> My guess would have been three. You get, you guessed it would have so. gotten three. So it was on the airplay chart for 36 weeks. <laughs> well, Semi Charm uh, Life by Third Eye Blind was number one mm. on uh, the week of August that checks out. 17th. Or August twenty third, seven. It feels like it could compete against something like Definitely. that. There's, I mean, that was a good song, but so was this one. I mean, I feel like it would have had a shot, maybe. I think so too. I think uh, Men in Black and Bitch are on the list too. Oh, Men in Black also. They also didn't make a, a single for that. So Men in Black was never on the Billboard uh-huh. Hot One Hundred. How'd you pull that one out? <laughs> <laughs> I read it while I was researching this. It's just something I go around okay. saying, you know. Do you know Men in Black was never like single release for the, the Hot 100? <laughs> that sounds like something I would say really loudly at a bar when it comes on after like three beers. <laughs> How bizarre. 
for for some reason I can't quite comprehend from everything that I was reading, all the different stories, that when Polly was on the road and Alan was at home, because he didn't go on the road with them all the time, because he was just a producer but still in the band, uh, I guess the record label was kind of maybe purposefully driving a wedge between them. Things weren't things weren't going super well, but like OMC, like not everyone was getting along, but like OMC kind of needed both of them. Like they needed a front person to do what he did. And then they also needed Alan to kind of, from what I was reading, like kind of rein in some of his ideas and also clearly a talented musician and songwriter. They just worked well together. It resulted in Alan suing Polly for royalties in 1997. And I think maybe that stemmed from not knowing who's really in OMC. Is Alan a part of it? Is he not? What kind of royalties is he getting? I think there was maybe some paperwork signed that wasn't what they all wanted. Um, They settled out of court, uh, but then the duo broke up. But considering Polly was Hmm. OMC, I don't know if they had a key man clause in there or what, but Polygram pushed Polly to oh polygram poly i never thought about that (laughs) destiny uh (laughs) they pushed polly to record a cover of randy newman's i love la for the 1997 mr bean movie just called bean (laughs) that uh i think i saw in the theater Right before uh, Titanic or something, you did the yeah. double double Titanic <laughs> oh, yeah. bean movie double dip. feature. <laughs> double dip, Leo and Summer Rowan Atkinson. Yep. Uh, so they released it as a single, and the B side was a live version of How Bizarre. But uh, let's uh, let's check out this cover of Randy Newman from OMC. <laughs> now I want the life that's portrayed in this video. I, mean, I enjoy that. It's kind of fun. I really enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's kind of a jam. I like it. It's kind of good. It's like how bizarre part two almost. It's I would not have guessed. Same family. Yeah. It's kind of surprising as Randy Newman because it sounds so OMC if you. <laughs> they really OMCified Randy Newman. <laughs> they really did. Uh, yeah, I think he does such a good job of selling it vocally and visually. It's so much fun. And it still has that like Latin flavor, which I think is so great because again, he's from New Zealand, and I still think it's just because he really likes Herb Alpert and Tijuana Brass. So uh, it's so <laughs> also, charming. He looks very Latin. He can, like totally yeah. come across as a Latin guy as well. Oh, I, I guarantee that there are. I guarantee that if there were <clears throat> I totally Americans who like. just thought like he was like a North American guy, you know. <laughs> Right. I thought it was like Puerto Rico or something. I, like, I mean, I didn't really put much thought into it. I would have been what? Yeah, right? 10. Yeah, he's got yeah. Puerto Rico vibes for sure, I feel like. Especially in that video. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's something about the way he sings and the verse and like the bass line where I was like, this is like Spin Doctors with better. <laughs> Phil is in that video too, which is pretty fun. Uh, he's in it in the beginning. Um, and when I was watching this video the first time, I was thinking about the mariachi instruments, the trumpets, the acoustic guitars, and I was kind of thinking, like, they kind of, OMC sort of was ahead of its time in terms of the Latin explosion, because, like, two years later, it was all Ricky Martin, J-Lo, Mark Anthony, Santana, like, 
I don't know. I kind of feel like How Bizarre might have uh, helped usher that in. Controversial opinion. Some New Zealand dude yeah. <laughs> brings in the Latin yeah. Explorers. <laughs> yeah. All thanks to Herb Alpert, the Tijuana That's Brass. life. That's the butterfly effect, man. I mean, it doesn't have to be. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the Herb Alpert it. effect. In the New Zealand publication Stuff, there is uh, an interview with Polly, and he talks about how the exhausting touring and promotional campaign had pushed him to his limits after the song, and he had trouble adjusting to the pop star status and the hectic lifestyle. And at one point, he did three return trips to the UK from New Zealand in five weeks, and in between, went to Australia twice. Oh, shit. Just to fulfill yeah. demand for Insane. live, how bizarre. Yep. And press stuff and TV and all this shit. And that was at the time when labels were just like, well, you have to do this. Like, you have to go. You have to do this. Um, yeah. So he pushed back against it. And uh, it all kind of came to a head when his grandmother passed. And he insisted on ending the tour to go to her funeral. And they got all pissed off. Wow. There is a book about this song, a full book, yeah. written by Simon Griggs. It's called How Bizarre, Polly Fumana and the Song That Stormed the World. <laughs> I didn't have a chance to read the whole thing. I read some excerpts online. And in this book, and also in a number of other sources, there seems to be an incident around this time where Polly assaulted one of the executives from Polygram. And even Simon says in the book, there are about 19 different versions of that incident, and I wasn't there. It was before Polly and Alan split, and that's when you knew it was all over. But I guess before that, this was kind of a sign of, sign of the end that Polly was done. Um, I read a few different accounts of the assault, and one of them was from Tony, Polly's brother, who played bass in a live band. And he said that they'd taken a 20-hour bus ride because Polly needed to be at a 6.30 a.m. TV interview. And Polly asked if he could shower and eat beforehand, and the label said that they would pull support if he didn't go straight to the interview. It just sounds like he was totally exhausted uh, and snapped. And then Tony also says that Polly threw the label guy through the window of the tour bus, which sounds far-fetched <laughs> to me. <laughs> Love the idea behind For it. For a number of reasons, yeah. Yeah. That was kind of the end. Polly didn't didn't want to be doing the pop star rat race anymore and the band broke up. So, uh, and, and I guess the, the, uh, lack of success of the Randy Newman song from the Mr. Bean movie also had something to do with it. That's gotta be the crux. <laughs> That's gotta be the crux. <laughs> Which is too bad. Cause I'm going to, the moment this is over, I'm going to look up that song and just feel like it's a, how bizarre part two and enjoy it because it sounds so nice. Yeah. Between that one and the, uh, that one, the house party, the song, those are great. I actually didn't see if the house party song was on streaming. I know that I was stoked that maybe that uh, Pacifica compilation was on streaming, but maybe I could find a CD on eBay. Sadly, in 2005, Phil Fumana passed away from a heart attack in Auckland, the godfather of South Auckland, as he was fondly remembered. He was mourned by the music community. And people credited him for putting Pacifica music on the map and starting and supporting an important independent music and art scene for indigenous and Pacific Islander people in New Zealand. In 2006, 
Our man Polly filed for bankruptcy, unfortunately, blaming his accountant and the royalties lawsuits. There's some discrepancies for the reasoning there, too, that I don't really need or want to get into because uh, I couldn't tell what was true and what wasn't. Uh, but I did also read that Polly was quite the philanthropist in his community and Otara after making a living from the song. However, the following year, Alan and Polly rekindled their friendship and they released a single as OMC called For All of Us, the number four All of Us. Let's give it a listen. 07? You talking 07 here? 07, yeah. Okay. Let's give it a listen. Uh, You will notice uh, there's a featured artist on the track. It's none other than Lucy Lawless, Xena the Warrior Princess herself. Okay. Uh, Xena to Xena. Yeah, I was going to say. That's right. Wow. Holy shit. I didn't even think about that. Oh my God. You're right. How many Xenas do you know? And Lucy Lawless is from New Zealand. Wow. I still don't really know how she ended up on the track. So this is like past everyone's prime because Zena was Zena's uh, done by here. Yeah, although she was on uh, she's on Parks and Rec, right? Like a grown up OMC. OMC me stained. That's her singing. And her in the car. Mm-hmm. I like it. Has a, a lot of like UK hip hop vibes to it for that, for that time period. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, the definitely the vocals in the in the first. Uh, also, like, kind of feels like it's from that like Everlast. Everlast. That's what I was saying. Not stained. Everlast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the video. Um, well, Howie Day. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, the 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 chorus kind of has like a Jack Johnson thing going yeah, on. Yeah, which too. this was like. Oh seven is when I was junior senior in high school which i still maintain is like the worst era of top 40 radio ever and i do feel disappointed in omc's output in this era as well i feel like everyone sort of uh wasn't on their a game in the the late 2000s the late aughts yeah i don't know all right so so we were all in high school at the same time listening to the same shitty top (laughs) daniel powder and and whatnot oh kill me now it's rough. Yeah. When did the reason come out? We're, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, it definitely, it definitely came out did. that time. Oh, six, oh, uh, five. Theo notoriously hates that song. Oh, 2003. It was ahead of the, ahead of its time for shit. Wow, Ooh. ahead of the yeah. shitty curve. Hoopa Snake started the whole <clears> thing. <throat> I mean, they, they started it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the song's fine, uh, but it's it's not as it's not as uh, idiosyncratic as the other OMC music, in my opinion. Right. I feel like it's just just not as cool. Xena, Lucy Lawless, she sounded good. Yeah. yeah it seems fun. like she was having a good time. This song was not a success, and it was the last OMC song ever recorded. One album mm. and two singles. That's the whole OMC discography. I doubt they, they sat in the studio saying, this is magic. This is an international hit on that one, too. I feel like... <sighs> I don't think they so. They had to have known, right? You hear that? You're not... You don't feel the magic. It kind of feels like Polly and Alan were just like stoked to be friends again. Just wanted to make some music, which yeah. I think is cool. Right. That's cool. I mean, I the band me. in general, not to play a devil's advocate here, but that's not the right word, but like, it was just kind of random. They wrote eight songs one night. <laughs> it's lightning in the bottom. <laughs> they weren't good live, clearly. Yeah. Won't be hearing. Yeah. They weren't cut out for this lifestyle. 
it was light in the bottle and they made a fucking great song yeah mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. And, and like more than most can say i guess you know so fuck yeah to them like, that's cool what <laughs> one might say it's an unlikely hit hey it's unlikely <laughs> How bizarre. one in a million so around this time that that this song came out um Polly started to develop neurological and autoimmune conditions, which led to declining health over the next few years. And in January 2010, Polly passed away at age 40 from pneumonia after being hospitalized. His funeral was attended by Simon and Alan, and of course his brothers, as well as an array of New Zealand musicians and the mayor of Auckland himself. Mm. So it was a, it's a big deal. And now the split royalties go to... Polly's widow, Kirsten, who is the mother of their six children. Damn. Yeah. Did, did some work after getting off the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this song's been used hundreds of times in ads and films. Uh I didn't I didn't even list them all off here. It's in all kinds of stuff. Uh I feel like so many like nineties revival tv shows now or like the shows that are like are set in the 90s or movies like this is such a song that they're like put that in there (laughs) so we know it's the 90s you got to play al bazaar good choice every time yeah i think so too (laughs) definitely brings me joy every time uh and then did y'all know that this was a big tiktok song a couple years ago not surprised no i was just gonna say i feel like it should be a big tiktok song but uh i didn't know it's done it 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 is uh, in 2019. The audio meme came along on TikTok, and there have now been over six billion views of the song. Oh wow! There. Uh, and it's Good like for that they widow, usually, man. yeah, yeah, <laughs> six kids. Uh, it's usually used in a in kind of a sarcastic way. It's like a skit where it's two people, maybe played by the same person, and it's like. One person's like, oh, how did that get there? Why is this happening? And the other person who's guilty is like, how bizarre. I watched a bunch of them and I didn't find any super funny. But you know what? People are having fun with the song. They're making skits. (laughs) Whatever. This was the biggest New Zealand song until Lord's Royals in 2013. That was was the song that yeah, dethroned it as the biggest worldwide. So, like the number two would have to be a second Lord song. Now, has she done it twice? Yeah. <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably. I don't know though. Uh, I'm actually not sure about that. I'd be curious. It's funny because Simon talks about how he doesn't think that Kiwis actually realized how huge the song was worldwide because big songs in New Zealand never made it out. So then, like once they started finding out, it was like just crazy. They're like, "Oh my god, people know about OMC." <laughs> which is yeah. pretty neat chilling on the sheep farm you know um, it's hard to easy to lose perspective. yeah right you just uh, <laughs> see your sheep and Polly Fumana is still seen as an absolute legend in New Zealand uh modern Kiwi musicians still cite him as an influence on the culture and the arts and on music itself and in particular an indigenous kid from a poor part of a small island country that became an international superstar mm. I mean it's a it's an inspirational story I'll I'll end with a couple quotations from the folks involved. Adam Holt from Polygram said, How bizarre is a cultural icon? As a record exec in New Zealand, it made me realize we can do it. It really energized me and still does to this day. It removed that ceiling of expectation. It's one of our great moments. 
So much comes off it. What it did for independent labels, what it did for artists, and what it did for culture and multiculturalism. And Simon says, it's still the biggest hit to come out of New Zealand on a New Zealand-owned record label. I'm very proud of that. They said we couldn't do it, and we did it. There it Love is. It. How bizarre. Great story. I mean, one of those like very unlikely hits in so many different so ways. So fun. And I, I, I love are. I love their awareness of the song itself because you hear that song and you have your own personal connections to it, but you never hear about the artist itself. You know, you kind of wonder what they're feeling when this kind of thing is happening. And it seemed like they were like all along for the ride. They kind of knew they had this lightning in the bottle you're talking about, where they're like, "This is this is an awesome song. We're about to we're about to experience something wonderful because <laughs> yeah. of this amazing song." And they did, and uh, yeah, it's nice. It's nice to just know it's good. It is nice. It's such a nice story. I definitely ended with uh, some tragedy, but I think all in all, it's like it's a it's a it's a nice story and everyone ended up becoming friends again at the end. I like that. It's all about the friends we make along the way. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. That was great. Right on. Well, thanks for being on this Kiwi adventure with me guys. Good man. Feels like sunshine. This was a sunny episode. It feels good. <laughs> sunny song. Yeah. I, I definitely needed it. Cause my toes are cold right now. <laughs> Danny probably. We, we it's all just, feel like we're in Costa yeah, Rica. Now. It's a good song to listen to in Costa Rica. I feel like yeah, it is. Sure. I, I do all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, do you want to tell the you wanted a hitters what's what's going on with you? What's going on with husbands coming up? Uh, well, I guess we're about to hit the West Coast next month. So um, it's January right now, Feb- mid February, day after Valentine's Day, we're going to go through Texas, uh, Arizona, through California, going west. So yeah, that's what husbands is doing, writing songs in the meantime, but getting ready to right on. go out on tour again. You're playing some killer venues on this tour. Oh, yeah, man. Troubadour. You know, I'm stoked to play the Troubadour. Yeah. You know, Legends and the Eagles, you know, big Eagles guys. So just stoked to see the, the California stuff going on there. So, yeah, I saw Pappy and Harriet's Meow Wolf. I mean, oh, cool really? shit. Yeah. Also, we're touring with Being Dead, who is like my favorite band of this whole year. Being Dead is a great band. I, I don't oh, know. Oh, cool. I haven't listened to them. Kind of surfy. Check it out. Surfy. Surfy kind of thing. It's great. That's that's right. My wheelhouse. Yeah, Theo's looking him up now. I am. Love it. I'll check it out. Right Pretty on. Good. Well, thanks for being here, Danny. Thanks for getting bizarre with me, guys. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, for, I appreciate thanks, it. Thanks for bringing the bizarre to us, man. <laughs> <laughs> happy to do it anytime. Well, uh, happy New Year, fellas. We'll see you happy soon. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. All right. Feliz Año Nuevo, boys. See ya. See <laughs> you guys. That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. Good luck getting that song out of your head. If you enjoyed the show, please do all the things podcasts usually ask you to. They really help. Tell a friend about the show, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, write a review on your favorite podcast app, and visit our website, ywahpod.com. That's ywahpod.com for updates on new episodes and our merch store. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, stickers, and more. And it all goes back into the podcast. We would love to hear what you thought of the episode. We also want to hear if there's something that we missed. You can reach us on Instagram and Twitter at YWHpod or directly via email at YWHpod at gmail.com. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Beidler. 
and our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.